Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome to the Unbox Your Gift podcast. I'm your host, Rita Joy, on how to turn your passion into a profession. And today, I have the definition of that. I have a guest who is the definition of how they took something that they were passionate about. And passion doesn't have to mean you're good at singing or dancing or you could be good at all of that. But it's something that you have a cause, maybe, or a reason to promote something or be involved in something, something that you feel very strongly towards. And my guest today, Patricia Shates, is a double organ transplant recipient. She, after being a recipient, she now, she went on to work in Australia, we have a, we have a program called Just Desserts, which um, it's by the, it's Zumbos, it's right, it's Zumbos Just yep. Desserts program on Channel 7, so it's only in Australia, so if you're in Australia, you'll know about it. But after going on this program, Patricia went and did something really huge and launched something called The Sweetest Gift, which is a charity that employs and trains transplant recipients and people with chronic illnesses. That's a cause. That's something you feel strongly about. And so, Patricia, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you, Rita. Thank you so much. So I just want to know, number one, before I get into how this all started, I never knew to be an organ recipient, is it hard to gain employment? Absolutely. Um, whilst, you know, I'm grateful every single day for, for the gift and it's now almost um, seven years since my transplant, it's, it's hard to maintain stable employment. So I've had, you know, in my lifetime, you know, I came from a, a, a customer service background. So I sort of figured I would go back into that sort of profession, so to speak. But my health had sort of other plans. So I, because of my transplant, I'm um, immunosuppressed. And that can mean that sometimes I'll wake up unwell when I've gone to bed perfectly well the night before, or I'll pick up something really, I guess, for a normal person, really minor. So um, like, you know, a cold, for instance, mm-hmm. and I'll be out of work for, you know, two or three weeks, which is a little bit hard when you're trying to hold down a full-time or even a part-time job in some regards. So yeah, maintaining oh, wow. that really stable employment is is quite difficult. So, yeah. That's, that's incredible. So, because you're a, a tra- a, an organ recip- or transplant recipient, uh-huh. what's called, sorry, what did you say, auto? Uh, yeah. Immunosuppressed. And that means your, Im- your immune system, system is suppressed. Yeah, so the drugs that I take to, um, to maintain my transplants mean that it has to shut my immune system down so it doesn't react to... The, for, the seemingly foreign objects, which are my new organs, because they're not technically mine, oh, wow. they're someone else's. And so my body, like any sort of infection, your body sort of releases stuff to attack it and get rid of it. Mm. And these drugs suppress all of that. So um, it also opens me up to obviously quite uh, varying degrees of, of, of bugs and stuff like yes. that. But I'm fairly fairly consistent in how well I treat myself, but, you know, things happen. Okay, so that makes sense. That makes sense as to create a charity that would employ, aims to employ. Yeah, that's it. Recipients with chronic illnesses. So tell me about you. You're a double organ transplant recipient. What was happening with you? Why did you need one? Why did you need two? And what was replaced or transplanted? Oh, sure. So um, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes as um, a baby. Um, and went through school and all of that sort of thing quite normally. Um, hit my mid-teens when I was about 14 or so and 
um, picked up a lung infection and um, was read the last rites in the ICU of um, a hospital in Sydney. Oh my god! My parents obviously were called, um, and yeah, I was I was read the last rites. I was induced in a coma for I think twenty four or forty eight hours. Um, quite, quite touch and go there for a while. I think in two days I lost 10 kilos straight. So it was a shadow of my former self. Um, basically my body had attacked itself because I had a lung infection, but my, because of my diabetes, it shot all of my blood sugars up in response to this lung infection. My body went into overdrive basically. And so survived all of that, you know, kind of went through school, got, finished school, went to work. Um, at about age 21, I looked up at Town Hall Station at the um, the boards to see sort of where my tra- what time my train was coming and noticed that I couldn't see very well. So sort of rubbed my eyes and figured I was tired and didn't sort of think anything more of it. But that sort of became a bit of a consistent thing. And that was, in my mind, it was because I was sort of burning the candle at both ends, so to speak, because yeah. I was 21 and, you know, yeah. like first, one of my first jobs and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, then got to, I think I was about 23 and um, I got an infection in my leg. And this infection turned into um, a flesh-eating bacteria, of all things. Oh. So I had a cut in my ring finger at the time and this infection in my leg and once again... My parents were called to the hospital, told that I wouldn't survive the night. Um, then they were told that I'd lose my finger and my leg. Um, oh. I was, again, induced into a coma. Um, I was there for a week, woke up, which I think was about Father's Day, and I very clearly remember waking up in the ICU and crying at my dad because I hadn't gotten him a, a Father's Day present. Because oh, <laughs> that's what I was worried about. Oh. Um, and then you know, after waking up, I sort of moved back to a ward. And then I was told that um, the damage that had been done to my leg because of this infection was so bad that I would never walk again. So I'd be confined to a wheelchair um, and yeah, not have the ability to walk. And so I spent the next three months proving the doctors entirely wrong. Um, oh, and yeah, just before November, I'll just early November that year, I walked out of the hospital with a walking cane, um, which I've now lost. I've sort of only had that for a couple of months to sort of support me. And then that was it sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I've survived a few things. (laughs) It gets better. Okay. (laughs) So a few years after that, about three years later, I, um, I met my now husband. Um, I started to sort of get sick not long after we met, um, just sort of random things. Just started, I'd end up in hospital with a bit of a gastro bug or um, my body would sort of just not be happy. And this sort of became a more consistent thing. And just after we got married in 2009, I got told that my kidneys were failing um, because of my diabetes, um, exacerbated by the fact that I was vomiting all the time because my body... Um, my stomach muscles and, oh, sorry, my stomach nerves had shut down. And so I would vomit all the food up that I'd eaten. Last time I had vomited sort of thing, which was nasty, horrible. Um, I was 26 or 27 at this point in time. Um, Was told though, when my kidneys were failing, look, it's going to be a while off before you need dialysis or or any sort of treatment for this. And once again, proved the doctors wrong, not in a good way. Um, I think six months later, I was um, on dialysis uh, four days a week at my local hospital. And dialysis is a really nasty sort of um, way to live your life. It's very much a, it's life preserving. 
<laughs> put yeah. it that way. It, it basically, dialysis cleans your body of all the toxins that your kidneys would normally do the job of. So this mm. huge machine does the job of this tiny two little organs that are about the size of both of your fists. And mm. I would spend four days a week doing that. And at the time I was told as well, probably the best option for me was to be looking at getting a transplant. And um, because my diabetes was failing me and my body was, I was certainly, um, I guess not to sound too dramatic, but sort of heading towards death's door. I jumped at the chance sort of Aww. what, what could, you know, I guess two alternatives, you either have the transplant and it, it goes well or not goes well, or you just survive on dialysis, which isn't, you don't survive on dialysis. You, you put up with it until your body can't take it anymore, essentially. So in May of 2011, so nearly seven years ago, I got the call that every transplant recipient wants to receive, um, went to Westmead Hospital in Sydney and received a pancreas and kidney transplant. And um, it was an eight hour operation. And I think one in the morning after that eight hour operation, I woke up and swore that I could run from Westmead back to my house, which was about an hour away. <laughs> um, and it sort of not, never changed. I've sort of, you know, it was such an instantaneous um, change and it made me realize how sick that I was. And you just sort of, when you're in that position, you don't really understand <clears throat> how sick you actually really are. It's sort of just, you just go through the motions, I think. So, um, you know, yeah. And yeah, I guess that's, that's why I needed the transplant. And that's sort of my, my story up till sort of May or June or July of, of 2011. And I sort of took that a little bit further and I sort of spent the next six months in a, a bit of a bubble because you're immunosuppressed and you sort of got to be very careful of your health and you're very, very fragile, so to speak. Um, and in that time I picked up a book um, on macarons because I was so bored at home. <laughs> <laughs> on macarons. <laughs> I picked up this book on macarons, which is probably one of the hardest things in pastry to make, but I didn't know that. I was like, but oh, they look pretty. How hard could it be? <laughs> Pick them up, first batch, perfecto. So from that... I sort of just ran with it and sold them to local cafes and friends and, and all of that sort of thing. And in um, 2016, I was, um, yeah, on Zumbo's Just Desserts. I sort of took the leap of faith and figured a reality TV show yeah. may, you know, <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I've been through the worst, you know. Exactly. And I thought as well, it was a great platform to share my story, mm. raise awareness about organ donation. and. I guess just see if this, this passion that I'd sort of found could actually take me somewhere. And it, it did. So wow. I only made, I only was on for three episodes and it's now on Netflix. So if you go and find it, it's actually on Netflix now. Oh. So look it up. Oh, <laughs> fantastic. Really cool. Yeah. So anyone, anyone can see it now, which is great. So um, <laughs> I love that. Love it. Love it. Let me take you back one step, a few yes. steps actually. And I just want to dissect a few things. Uh. The reason why all of this, these health uh, challenges took place is really because you were born with type 1 diabetes. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so there were all sort of complications of that. So is that just because you were like, is there anything that could have done that could have prevented that? or it's just No, and I actually, I've just blogged about exactly this because, um, you know, Mother's Day was a few days ago. Yeah. My mum, a few years ago after my transplant, had said, I wish there was something I could have done. Yeah. Nothing. There was absolutely nothing I'd... When I was born with it, it was 1984. Um, mm. It was such a little-known disease. It, people knew about it, but it wasn't. It wasn't a, exactly a, a priority. Yeah. On the health scale. 
Um, but I also ended up with a really savage sort of form of the disease. So no matter what anybody did, you know, the best efforts of the doctors, the best efforts of my parents, and then eventually my best efforts sort of didn't really change what the outcome was going to be. I sort of guess it may have been prolonged um, how long I was, how long it would be before I got unwell, but it was always sort of inevitable that, that things were going to go pretty south pretty fast. Okay. Well, thank God you're on the other side of it now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you, and you look amazing because I, I, sorry, well, I can see Patricia, but you absolutely amazing. And so what were you doing? So you were in customer service prior to all these yep. challenges? Okay. Yeah, yeah. You're in customer service. I love this. You're in customer service. You have health challenges that keep you away from the consistent work or even yep. focusing on work because you've got your health to manage. Yeah. Then you have your transplant, your double organ transplant. You pick up a book because you just bought it and it happens to be on macarons, which is... Yep. A fancy French biscuit, you could say, right? And yeah, by the way, yeah. I've tried macarons and I've tried like, but six times after that, I just kind of went, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> so you must be really good. You have to be very, very good at making macarons. Which are, and that's why you, but why, um, but why not something, like I want to know about when you went on to Zumbo's Channel 7's um, Just Desserts, what made you go on reality? Because what's it like being on reality TV? Like for those of us who watch you on TV, yeah. is it, what's it like? It's hard to say the very least. It's nothing sort of like, okay, so for instance, one episode of our show was three days worth of filming. So an hour app was wow. three days. And not just, you know, like a nine to five sort of thing. This was quite a long, long day. So you'd be finishing it sort of maybe anywhere from eight to 10 at night and you'd be starting at sort of eight in the morning. So really tough hours. Wow. And just, it takes you entirely out of your comfort zone. It's sort of, you are cooking in a kitchen that's not your own. So I guess as a side note to this, I'm actually completely blind in my left eye um, mm. and partially sighted in my, I can see my right and it's enough to sort of be able to drive. Wow. But I don't because yeah. I like, everyone else being safe (laughs) Um, so um i guess for me as well i rely a lot on the fact that things are familiar Mm -hmm. um, to me so my kitchen is set up the way i use it and everything's put back in the same place so i know where everything is so going into a set kitchen it was hard to say the very very least so um yeah reality tv is a little bit what a realistic brave like girl you are seriously like that honestly on that as i said you know i wanted that sort of national platform to be able to sort of um give a bit of awareness about organ donation and i figured if one person signed on to the organ donor register then my job was done you know i just wanted to share my story and you know i could do desserts and sort of prove it to myself as well it was it was amazing yeah, well, I'll say, so you're, you're on Zumbos, the, you, you finish the show and then you start creating your own macarons and then you sell them to markets, sell them to friends. And then what's happening now? So um, last year, in April of last year, I was busy making macarons. I had a, a little tiny business that sort of supplied to cafes and, as I said, you know, friends and family and all that sort of thing. And then it sort of extended to other pastry items and, and all that sort of thing and cakes, of course. Um, but I broke my right hand. So... Oh, Patricia! <laughs> <laughs> so a bit of a side effect of, of the um, the transplant is that oh. one of the drugs you take gives you osteoporosis. 
Oh, okay. And particularly in me, I've sort of found it quite difficult to um to keep up with with not breaking myself quite badly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I I'd broken my hand quite severely, and it was my right hand, which I'm obviously mm. I'm predominant in, and I I am slightly ambidextrous. But when you pipe with your right hand, it's hard to learn yeah. to do it suddenly with your left. Yeah. And so I had to sort of take a break from everything that I had just sort of built up for myself. And sort of rethink about what I was going to do next. And I sort of, I'd always thought, what about other transplant recipients? What are these people doing that, you know, that are they in the same situation as me? And I sort of did some research at that time and realized, yeah, there's a lot that can't work because not in full-time capacity or even part-time because their health is hard to manage. And your health always comes first. I sort of, I'm a firm believer in if you're sick, take the time off, you need your body to rest. It's so, so important. And I think it's one of those things you don't sort of understand until you've really been there. Yeah. Um, and and with the whole speaking to other recipients and other people with chronic illnesses too. So I've got a few friends that have sort of got um, rheumatoid arthritis and fibromyalgia and things like that. It's not so dissimilar. Mm-hmm. Um, they usually work casually, which is not really a great way to work um sometimes you know when you are sick then you still have no job to go back to in your casual position so mm-hmm. the idea for the sweetest gift was born and it was sort of a let's do this we can create a space where you know normality and and social inclusion because being sick makes you really isolated at times you sort of get into that i don't want to see people i don't want to make other people sick and other people don't want to make you sick so it gets a bit you don't leave the house for a couple of days so this space we wanted to create would be a restaurant and a dessert restaurant at that where people could bake, they could serve customers, they could sort of have that sense of normality, as I said, and and that understanding and the flexibility that they need to, to work. And obviously, yeah, as I said, the understanding that health changes and we're cool mm. with that because I've been there. I totally get it. So, oh. yeah. so, so now the sweetest gift, that's a kitchen? The Sweetest Gift is a charity. Um, We're fundraising at the moment to open the restaurant. So we're sort of very grassroots at the moment, but definitely fundraising to get that restaurant up and running, getting the word out there about what we're doing because, you know, the more people that know about us, the more people that can sort of help. And also the more people we we find along the way who we can help. So, yeah. Okay. So so I love this. So you're fundraising to start the sweetest gift, which is a, a kitchen that allow people who are transplant recipients to go yep. and work there, yep. have some purpose, get some interact. Just just Absolutely. Yep. Have that sense of normality and sort of yes. contribute and yeah. and yeah, exactly. It's sort of sometimes for me, I've always been a one income family with my husband. He he works, he's the breadwinner, he brings in all of the money and it's always really big struggle on my side to sort yeah. of be comfortable with that sort of thing yes. and that I'm definitely not alone in. So it's creating that space where I can contribute to my family and other people can contribute to theirs, even in a small way, yeah. it's, it's, it's so, so important. It's that level of independence and being self-sufficient. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and, yeah, you do get that sort of, oh, wow, I'm not alone in this. Mm. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. And so when but now that you're a you bake do you mm-hmm. call yourself a chef do you call yourself a baker yeah, actually so i'm a qualified pastry chef now so after zumbos i yeah. went and trained and uh-huh. yes so now i'm a qualified chef so that's interesting now do you now that you've trained do you enjoy cooking do you oh, enjoy- i love it i still so i do it every chance i get i sort of wake up in the morning like what am i going to cook today so oh, yeah, okay. yeah so- i have definitely found my passion 
But that's, and that's what's important because sometimes people find themselves, well, I just kind of did this thing because I was bored and now yeah. I'm kind of just doing it because, you know, well, what else am I supposed to do? Exactly. So I think with Zumbos, it sort of cemented that this wow. is what I really love to do. And I, I was only in there for three episodes. I, I broke my foot first day of filming. Oh, wow. <laughs> so sort of was struggling all the way through, but made three episodes and really was just okay, this is actually what I want to do with the, the rest of my career or life or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, sort of left the show, got into to plaster casts and back straight back into the kitchen piping macarons again. So, yeah. you know, it wasn't, yeah, I definitely sealed it for me that that was what I wanted to do. That's, so that's excellent because you tested what your passion in a, in a, what's it called, in a field that's reality TV. You can't yeah. hide from anyone. Your yeah. mistakes, your flaws, your perfections <laughs> are going to be broadcast, amplified. Exactly, exactly. And you came away from that experience saying, yeah, this is what I want. Even though it's hard, even though I only did three episodes, it's what I want to do. Yep, yeah, definitely, definitely. Would you, would you recommend reality TV? Um... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I look at, so there's probably less cooking shows out there anymore than there used to be. I sort of think of all of the, the relationship shows. I would never, ever, ever. <laughs> like, like Married at First Sight. Oh. Because it's such a, like, they're in your bedroom and yeah. you sort of leave no, there's nothing that's, the, everything's exposed. So with us, it was just our time in the kitchen and things like that. So that's hard, but that, that, you know, bigger scale where they're following you everywhere. Yes. I could not handle that at yeah. all. I think, I think well, just the fact that you said it took three days to film one episode. Yeah, and you don't you don't understand that until you're actually watching it on the other side. Like, so we filmed in April and May of 2016 and it wasn't shown until August. So I had no idea mm. how long, like, yeah, those, those three days. Oh, wow, it was only an hour episode. Like, wow. That's huge. So, yeah, you really begin to appreciate how much work goes into it. That really is huge. And you, can I, I, just, I don't know, but I've heard that when you go onto a reality program, you actually have to just let them edit it the way they need to edit it. Too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there's always in the back of your mind, how are they going to portray yeah. me, which is always a bit nerve-wracking. Um, yeah. But I sort of hoped that they'd cast me the way I'm always, I always am and it was bubbly and bright and all that sort of thing. And... It was exactly that. So my my um my nickname's Little Miss Sunshine, and they sort of took that and ran with it. So oh, good on you! And you are you, talk, <laughs> you look like Little Miss Sunshine anyway. It's vibrant and bubbly. So the kitchen that you're starting up, what location are you looking at having this kitchen be located in? So we're hoping we'll. I'm Sydney based, and so it'll be somewhere in Sydney. Um, we're sort of open. If there's a council out there that wants to sort of take us on, we'll happily go into anywhere. Um, we're based in the Sutherland Shire at the moment, so we bake um, out of our kitchen here, okay. um, and we've got a commercial kitchen that we we rent and, and sort of utilise for for catering and things like that. That um, yeah. we're open to to location because there's transplant recipients and, and other people that we can help everywhere. So. Yeah. All right. So with the kitchen, is it like a cafe city style that you envision to have or is it? Yeah. So it's like a restaurant. It's a dessert restaurant. Oh, so oh. There's a lot of, there's a lot of psychological research behind the benefits of baking for other people. So we oh. kind of want to tap into that. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, oh. and for me personally, that's, I guess, if you sort of read into the whole love language thing, I'm a very big giver. Mm. And so that's, that's obviously why I bake what? and create desserts and do that sort of thing. So 
Yeah, I'm not alone. Can you share with us what are the psychological benefits of baking? Because that's very interesting to me. Yeah, there's a there's if you I think if you Google, I have brain brain sort of freeze at the moment. (laughs) Haven't had enough coffee this morning. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of um, research done behind the benefits of giving food to other people and creating. It's sort of I guess like a lot of crafts and things like that. So doing it for other people, not necessarily just for yourself. Okay. okay. Um, So yeah. Yeah, and we, as I said, want to really tap into that. But also, in a restaurant sort of situation, you can sort of um, create jobs for other people that may not necessarily be baking or, or chefing or waitressing or whatever. So we're hoping that our restaurant will have, you know, an accountant that's a recipient or, yeah. or someone with a chronic illness, you know, someone that does our social media that's the same. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Hoping to create jobs for people that suit them. So yeah, it sort of gives a lot of scope to, to a lot of different jobs. Love it. And so it's interesting because this is going to be a charity mm. now because you're at the building stage of it. And for someone who's listening right now and who's always wanted to start a charity, apart from the fundraising, yep. are, what are the challenges are you finding that you need to consider when you're looking to start a charity. Yeah, so we we registered our charity last year in August. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work. There's um so the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission, the ACNC, are uh, the governing body of, of charities in Australia. So when you register, you register through them. Mm-hmm. Um it's a lot of admin work and um it's sort of like there's weird terms and it sort of sounds, it takes sort of the soul out of what you're doing as a charity. I mean, in some regards, because they're legal terms, right? You know, the recipients and people with chronic illnesses become vulnerable people and we're providing benevolent relief. And it sort of sounds really clinical and horrible, but you really need to get past that. But there, as I said, so much admin work and a lot of research that you need to do to put those ground rules in to sort of, um, and create that charity space and yeah it's a lot of it's a lot a lot of work but so rewarding okay. so, yeah. so how far into in the in through the phase are you so we can start following you on social media and seeing where things are at just to, to support you yeah and- absolutely so we have our website which is the sweetestgift.org.au um, and you can donate there you can get in touch with us with us there so if anyone listening is someone that we can help Send us, send us an email. We love hearing stories about, you know, people that, that think that this is a great idea and want to support or, or they have a, an illness of their own that, you know, they understand what we're doing because it's sort of sometimes it's a bit of a reminder to me that, yeah, I'm on the right track. Yes, yes. Um, and, and same with um, our social media. So we're just on Facebook as The Sweetest Gift and uh, Instagram the same way. Fantastic. Well, I just want to say, Patricia, you really are. And for those you guys who are listening, you can't see Patricia, but she is just, like you said, little Miss Sunshine. She really is great. <laughs> you are just like bubbly. You're just vivacious. And it's just an absolute privilege and honor. And thank God for you for being here on earth with us because you're making the world, our community, that much brighter because you're here. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. And we'll catch you next time on Unbox Your Gift.